Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. I have to thank Joanna for getting through the obligatory old joke for Pastor Bud today. I don't have to do it. I'll have my job for another week. <clears throat> anyway, I uh, got promoted uh, to the, the good mic, so that's exciting. <laughs> um, I uh, totally... Has anyone ever like, like had a book they just wanted to like, rip apart? Got to do that this week. Totally wrote a book for today. And uh, then I was like, ah, this is going, this is going, this is going. We, Pastor Bud and I actually were talking about like two-hour, three-hour church services the other day, just for who knows what reason. We almost had that today. So, but uh, I, uh, anyway, um, if you wouldn't mind, let's, uh, let's pray one more time. <clears throat> Father, I have been praying and preparing about this message You've laid on my heart, and it's time to share it with the world. Father, you know the burdens that are on my heart, but they don't matter right now. They can't matter. All that matters are the words I'm about to speak, and I pray, I implore you to make them your words, not mine. As Pastor Bud asks each week, I make the same request that whatever I say, if they are not your words, if they are not your message, please do not let them take hold in the hearts and the minds of the people listening. Please, Father, let me speak the truth, your truth. In your precious and holy name, I pray. Amen. So, um, some time ago, I read a story online about an interaction that a young man had with his, um, with his elderly neighbor. He was living in an apartment complex, and their apartments were conjoined. And this guy was a musician in his spare time, and he makes rap music. Obviously, you know, things got pretty loud from time to time. Not that other, that rap music is the only loud music. Um, if it's your thing, you know, go for it. But uh, uh, his neighbor, uh, I should point out, was also a Christian woman who did not like that music. So not long after he moved in, his neighbor complained to him and to the landlords about the noise coming from his apartment. And he actually felt really bad. So one time, as he was getting in his car going to go to work, he saw his neighbor struggling with her groceries. And he heard her muttering to herself that she wished that God would deliver uh, her groceries to her. So looking for a way to make up for the noise and to uh, start off on a new foot with his neighbor, he decided to get her groceries for her the following week and he left them on her doorstep. Well, later that day, as he was getting in his car to once again go to work, he struck up a quick conversation with her. And during the conversation, she mentioned that God finally delivered my groceries for me. <laughs> and the guy chuckled, and he told her, well, you know, it was me, not God. She threw up her hands in the air, and she shouted, Hallelujah! God delivered my groceries, and he made the devil pay for them. 
It's interesting at how difficult it can be to live among other people. Am I the only one who wishes that sometimes I was the only person living in the world? <laughs> living in the world. Alas, we were created to be social beings. In fact, God told us that it is not good for man to be alone, so he created Eve of Adam and Eve fame, and the rest is history. The rest is history, because now that we have to endure broken relationships and difficulties living among other people, and it shouldn't be this hard, but it is. Is there a magic formula, a recipe, an equation for how to live among other people? There is. It's right here everything we need to know about living among other people. This summer, the youth group mission experience to Wilmington, this summer on the youth group mission experience to Wilmington, North Carolina, the theme for the week was neighbors. And throughout the week, we studied Jesus' parable uh, of the Good Samaritan. And I know that most of you have probably heard numerous sermons about the parable of the Good Samaritan, but I am going to ask you to endure one more this morning because it is honestly important, and I think it's really cool. And I also want to share a little bit about uh, what the youth discussed on our missions experience. So, if you will, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Uh, I'm going to have the passage on the screen. I am reading from... Uh, the CSB translate, translation today, the Christian Standard Bible translation, is fast becoming one of my favorite translations, so it's not going to match up with uh, what you guys have in the pews or whatnot, but um, I would like to, uh, to read from this translation for you. And we are going to read the entire uh, parable, but we're only going to focus on one little part, so just to forewarn you. Anyway... <clears throat> Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite... When he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put, on, put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. 
Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. So the priest and the Levite are interesting to me. They're both part of a religious leadership, part of the religious leadership of the Jewish faith. The priest being a teacher, um, and the Levites uh, works in the temples as assistants. Anyway, I know they say you're not supposed to assume anything, but one can assume a few things about these two people because of their positions in society. One being that one assumption we can make is being uh, they are both religious people. And religious people are, of course, the most generous people, the most compassionate people, the most understanding people, the most loving people, and the least divisive people. That's true, right? It can also be assumed that they were influential people because of the nature of their place in society. For instance, Pastor Bud could be considered an influential person because of the nature of his job, right? People come to him for advice and wisdom. Well, these two people are, were probably a big deal. They both claimed to love God, and God commanded us to love other people. And they were supposed to be generous people and compassionate people, understanding and loving and Jesus tells us that the priest and the Levite passed by the beaten man. And not just passed by, they passed by on the other side of the road. For a minute, they became British citizens and they walked on the left-hand side of the road. <laughs> they made an effort to walk around the injured man. They went out of their way to avoid the man. They took that extra effort to walk around so they could avoid him. Why? Weren't they supposed to have compassion? Weren't they supposed to be generous? Weren't they supposed to be loving? I don't know. And Jesus honestly doesn't elaborate on the why. Maybe it was because they were too busy. Maybe it was because they didn't know the man. Maybe they didn't want to get dirty. Because if they touched his body, then they would become ritually... Um, unclean. Maybe it was uh, that they were afraid of being attacked by robbers as well. For the record, the fear of being robbed uh, was a legitimate concern. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho, which this is a part of that road, looks exciting. Um, it was a difficult one. It was 17 miles long, uh, through de desert terrain, and the descent from Jerusalem to Jer Jericho, uh, there was more than 3,000 feet in elevation going downhill. Um, and I got to hike Mount uh, the Grand Tetons this summer and experience something similar. It is not easy going down a mountain. Um, but as you can see, there were obviously a lot of places where thieves... Um, could you know, jump out and wait for unsuspecting travelers. Anyway, I don't know why the priest and the Levite didn't stop, but the fact remains that in this parable of Jesus, they made an effort to go around. It was a conscious, thought-provoked decision to avoid the man on the side of the road. 
and our expectations for these two religious men are shattered. Then we get to the Samaritan. Who the heck were the Samaritans, by the way? Well, for your reference, uh, years and years and years and years and years and years before Jesus uh, uh, was born, uh, the Assyrian Empire conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. So right where the blue and the orange meet, that was where the two uh, kingdoms of Israel had split years and years prior to this, and the bottom became Judea, and then the top became Israel. And the Assyrian Empire conquered the top half of the, uh, the, the Israelites, the Israel part of the division. And uh, when that happened, um, the Assyrians took a lot of the uh, Israelites into captivity back to, um, back to their capital and whatnot. But some Israelites stayed behind, and they ended up intermarrying with the Assyrians, and this led to cultures meshing, a hybrid Jewish-Assyrian culture. And this included um, a mix of the Jewish faith and the Assyrian uh, faiths and whatnot. So because of this, there were some re- obviously some very different religious differences, especially regarding where worship had to take place. The Jewish people believed that God could only be worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans had their own temple at Mount Gerizim. I think that's what it, how it's pronounced. Anyway, and the Samaritans also had their own version of the Torah, which is um, the Jewish holy book. And it's our first five books of our Bible as well. So on top of the religious divisions, there were racial ones as well. The Jewish people considered the Samaritans half-breeds because... The, uh, they intermarried and had children with uh, the Assyrians. And the Samaritans honestly just hated the Jewish people as, uh, just as strongly for, you know, because they were hated. So they didn't mix. They didn't have any kind of dealings with each other whatsoever. Getting back to the parable now, Jesus said the Samaritans saw this beaten man, and like the priest and like the Levite, the Samaritan also took extra effort but not to walk around the beaten man, but to walk towards him and to help him. He had compassion. He saw value in this stranger who he did not know, and he moved towards action. Our group's project throughout our mission experience this summer was at the home of a woman named Miss Rebecca. She lived in a... uh, trailer, and I had trouble getting pictures on the computer this morning, so I apologize. You don't get to see too many pic- any pictures of the mission trip, but uh, you can use your imagination. <laughs> um, anyway, she lived in a trailer, essentially out in the middle of nowhere. It was almost 45 minutes outside of downtown Wilmington where we were staying, and we pulled up in our van, and we saw a rundown trailer. The yard was way overgrown. There were two dogs tied up outside, um, which were the only signs uh, at first glance that there was someone living there. One of the dogs was... Well, anyway, I'll let the youth tell you about that. Um, One of the dogs' name was Brownie, and his personality was not anything like a delicious brownie, I'll tell you that. So just looking at the outside of the house, it was hard to imagine that anyone lived there. It was so run down. 
We were working alongside an organization called WARM, which stands for Wilmington Area Rebuilding Ministry. And our site supervisor's name was Drew. Um, and even he was overwhelmed by Miss Rebecca's home. We walked in and it became clear that she kept everything that she has ever owned or been given throughout her life, down to the stickers that you peel off a brand new pair of jeans that tell you what size they were. There was a lot packed into that little home, and it made it difficult to get work done uh, for the necessary repairs. The roof needed replacing, the floors needed replacing, the bathrooms had to be gutted and replaced, windows needed to be caulked and replaced, decks replaced, the list goes on. We did what we could. We started on one side of the house in the spare room. Uh, We had to maneuver furniture and belongings to be able to get the floor replaced. And we spent all four days that we were doing work, ripping up carpets and flooring in that spare room and in the little laundry nook. Uh, we also got to do a few repairs on the front deck, and we, we completely replaced the back deck and uh, did some caulking of windows and yard work and whatnot. And we all gained some skills that we didn't have before. By the way, if anyone needs their floor replaced or a deck built or anything, I know a few teens who can do it. Or Betty. Oh, you need them replaced. Gotcha. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, if you ask them and they say, no, I can't do that, don't let them fool you. Okay? They do got that. If you've been part of this kind of trip before, you know it can be awkward to work uh, in someone else's home especially someone you don't know, you know, touching their things, moving their stuff around, seeing how they live. And I can imagine it's also awkward for the homeowner, having these crazy kids from Allentown, Pennsylvania, coming into your home, touching your things, moving them around, seeing how you live. I imagine it makes you feel vulnerable or exposed and maybe, just maybe, judged a little bit. We all saw the needs when we arrived at Miss Rebecca's home. We were there to do a job, home repair. However, one of the youth saw another need and was, acted, uh, was the first to act on it. Jillian sat down with Miss Rebecca and talked, and talked some more and more. And that was okay, because that was a need and a relationship was formed, and ice pops were distributed. And at the end of the week, contact information was shared so that they could keep in touch. Like the Samaritan, Jillian saw a need and had compassion, and she moved to action, and the rest of our group followed suit. People from different states, from different walks of life, two very different age groups far apart, Jillian and Miss Rebecca Both saw value in each other. To be a neighbor, we need to see value in each other. It doesn't matter where you live or what you do for work or where you go to school or how much money you make or what you look like, how you act, how good your health is, what your political party is. There are three things that we discussed this uh, during our missions experience that we need to do to find value in each other, like the Samaritan found value in the man that he helped. 
like Jesus found value in so many people. The first being, we have to slow down. We are so consumed with stuff, and our schedules are maxed out, and our brains are full of, I have to do this, I have to do that. I can't believe that person's wearing that. Did they really say that? You believe that? In my case, Star Wars. <laughs> we don't leave time for others, not in any way that allows us to see the value in them. Some of you might know that my full-time job is actually at Target. I'm a manager. And one of Target's biggest priorities is helping our guests first and foremost. We are asked to stop and help our guests no matter what, even if it slows down our tasks that we're trying to complete. It's easy when a guest stops. By the way, we call our customers guests. We're not, we're not a hotel, but uh, we, do, we do call our customers guests. Anyway, uh, it's really easy when a guest stops to ask where something is and to respond with, oh, it's over there, or it's an aisle Q42. What does that even mean? What Target really wants for us is to walk the guests to that location of the product they're looking for, to go out of our way for our guests. The guest doesn't know where aisle Q42 is because it doesn't exist. <laughs> anyway, Target's guest service culture goes way beyond just uh, going out of our way to show guests around the store. Many times the guest doesn't know what exactly they're looking for, or they're frustrated because they have been to 10 other stores looking for this one item. Sometimes Target likes to use itself as a, a shopping therapy. Uh, some guests are struggling with something on the inside that no one knows about, and they need to do some of that shopping therapy. Sometimes they need to get out of the house, away from a spouse who's not so nice. We don't know what our guests are going through, so making their shopping experience the best it can be is paramount. Walk them to the location they're looking for. Let them ask you for your advice or how something works. Ask them how you can help them. It's, it's harder than just saying it's over there. And your task might take longer to complete, but it's more meaningful, and it's right. We have to slow down. We have to embrace the people who interrupt our day. Because you never know when you are being a neighbor to someone who just needs a neighbor. So one, slow down. Two, look for the best in people. We all have our struggles, things that we don't always share with the world. We all have blind spots, intentional or unintentional ways that we view the world and the people around us, ignoring, disregarding, or just can't see anything outside our own worldview. Right now, um, I am really into the show Hell's Kitchen, okay? And in, in the event you've, if you've, ever, you've never seen it, it is a cooking competition show featuring world-renowned chef Gordon Ramsay. And it's a um, very colorful show, so to speak. Literally, the way they speak is uh, they, they use some very colorful language and whatnot. And if you've watched the show or you've seen anything with Gordon Ramsay, he comes off as a, a very arrogant, difficult man to work with. And every, word out of, every other word out of his mouth is pretty foul. He belittles people, and he even uses sometimes their looks, their heritage, and their skills against them. 
watching Hell's Kitchen made me wonder how much of this is staged for television. Not much, if uh, the people involved are to believe. But Gordon Ramsay isn't behaving that way necessarily because he's an arrogant prick. It's his admittedly twisted way of pushing his protégés to greatness because he sees something in them. The season 10 winner of Hell's Kitchen was a woman named uh, Christina, and she works for Gordon Ramsay to this day. She currently oversees all of his 10 U.S. restaurants. The impressive part is that she never had any formal cooking training when, that, when she competed in Hell's Kitchen. So why would someone with her background still work for a man like Gordon Ramsay? Because he's honestly not who he is on television. He is generous, funny, considered a mentor by many, and some of the contestants of Hell's Kitchen liken his personality to that of a father figure. <clears throat> According to Christina, Chef Ramsay cares deeply about his craft and more importantly cares so deeply about his customers that he gets upset and wound up if food that shouldn't be going out of the kitchen goes out of the kitchen. Acclaimed chef Paula Dean also told Ramsay once when they were working together, I'm going to go home and I'm going to ruin your reputation. And when Ramsay asked how she planned to do that, she said, because everybody thinks you're... Every, every, everybody thinks you're such a I'm going to tell them you're really a, what, a, what a cream puff you really are. So we only see certain parts of people, parts that they want us to see are only parts that we're looking for, when in fact there is always something more. In Gordon Ramsay's case, he truly does care about his craft, about making sure the people he's feeding are taken care of. He goes about it in a twisted way that overshadows his true self, but he does care about people. His nature is likened to a cream puff. It's easy to say Gordon Ramsay's a jerk, but why would he yell so much if he didn't care? So look for the best in people. Look for the best in the frustrated and irate woman whom the online world would call a Karen because she's trying to return faulty air mattresses and wants to speak to the manager. What you don't know is she is, keeps going home to a husband who's screaming at her for continuing to bring home a faulty air mattress. Look for the best in the teenager who just rear-ended you during rush hour traffic, and you are on your way to a really important meeting with a client. And during your conversation, you find out that the teen's father is in the hospital and not expected to live through the night. Look for the best in your neighbor who is a Democrat or a Republican, the opposite of you. Remember, they were raised in a different home than you. They've had different life experiences that you have than you that have shaped their beliefs and their values. And remember that while you both know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ doesn't fit into the wisdom and the ideologies of humanity. So who you vote for and who they vote for is important. But being a neighbor to your neighbor is more important and takes precedence because that is what God wants for us. Lastly, we have to see with God's eyes. Does the person next to you who is all tatted up matter less than you in your dress shirt and tie and khakis and traditional haircut? Does the color of your skin make you more valuable than the person next to you? 
Does who you vote for make you more knowledgeable than those who vote for the other guy? For our devotions during our mission trip, we each got a little book. One of the things it asked us to think about was how might Jesus describe the person in front of you? And then it goes on to ask us, will you choose to define them the same way? In the 90s, there was a great animated movie, uh, musical, based off of uh, the story of Moses. And hopefully you've heard of it. It actually has a pretty sizable following to this day. It's called The Prince of Egypt. My favorite song from the movie is sung by Moses' future father-in-law to encourage Moses to see his value. And it has these lyrics, which I would sing for you, but I can't because we're on YouTube. But uh, the lyrics goes like this. A single thread in a tapestry, though its color brightly shines, can never see its purpose in the pattern of the grand design. And the stone that sits on the very top of the mountain's mighty face, does it think it's more important than the stones that form the base? So how can you see what your life is worth or where your value lies? You can never see through the eyes of man. You must look at your life, look at your life through heaven's eyes. We see what we want to see in others. We see what we're looking for. Sin is wired the way our minds work regarding our relationships. And we need to train them to look at others through God's lens. We only see parts of another person's life. We see what is on the outside. We see what that person wants us to see or what they let us see. From the beginning, from that, we assign value to others. We use words like macho, feminine, good-looking, ugly, Weird, loud, obnoxious, quiet, sad, rich, poor, Democrat, Republican, jerk, arrogant, the list goes on. So I ask you what the youth were challenged to do on our mission trip. How might Jesus describe the person in front of you? I can't possibly imagine all the words that he might use, words that I don't even know, but some might include valuable, friend, molded, worthy, child, loved. If he uses words like that, why can't we? If you're that valuable to Jesus, why aren't the people around each of us that valuable to us? What do you see in your neighbors? How are you moving to action to be a neighbor to the person who lives next door to you, to the people you work with, to the people standing around you in line at the supermarket, to the person waiting on you at a restaurant, to the first responders who are helping you, to the woman who just lost her husband, to the human being who wants to experience the American dream, to your teachers, to your parents, to your children, and to the people sitting next to you today. <clears throat> Father, our world is full of broken relationships. That is the hand we're dealt when we allowed sin, and, sin to enter the world. 
Ever since then, we have struggled to repair the damage, but division is too easy. It's too easy to label others based on what we see or we hear from them. Father, I lift up each of us today that you may change our hearts from the inside out. I pray asking for you to lay your hand of healing on our relationships, that we may look to Jesus Christ as an example of how to interact with others. Help us to be neighbors to the people in our lives, neighbors who love and support one another, neighbors who find value in each other. Father, I pray all of these things in your holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.